The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Exodus chapter 7. With no children's ministry, we're going to keep pressing on. If you have a Bible, Bible app, or there are Bibles in the back as well, um, including I found some large print versions in my garage. And believe me, that's helpful. We are covering plagues one through nine today. And so you also have an insert in your bulletin to help you. Now, if you don't have an insert, Annie would be glad to bring one to you. Just raise your hand and Annie will find you. So if you'd like an insert to help you follow along with all the plagues, would you wave at Annie? And Annie's right here. Wave at Annie and Annie will bring an insert to you. I give that to you so that as I go quickly through these, you can reflect on that, maybe look it over later, whatever you want to do. You want to keep your Bible open, though, today. However, we're going to look at a number of verses to see more of our God. So let's pray the Holy Spirit would meet us right now. Holy Spirit, we pray the words of Psalm 119 that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law, out of your instruction. We gather to be instructed by you. And so instruct us now, please, we pray. Grant us the gift of illumination, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amy's not going to read all nine plagues. She's going to just read the text of plague one, beginning in verse 14. Exodus 7, 14 through 25. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that, it is, that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Thank you, Amy. That's great. Kids, do you find things seem big to you in ways? 
Your parents' car seems really big. Your house seems big. Your, your room seems big. The, the building where your church meets seems big. What might happen when you get older and you come back to those things is they seem strangely smaller. Adults, do you find that? Have you had that experience? Anybody? You remember when things seem so big and then you go back to those places later on and you're surprised at how small they are. What happened? Well, those things didn't shrink. They didn't change. We grew. And as we grow, things that seem so huge tend to become smaller for us. Things in life tend to shrink with time. Things in life tend to shrink with time. The problem is that can happen for us in our perception of God. Over time, in our hearts and minds, he seems to shrink. His greatness, his awesome majesty, his glory and holiness can shrink for us over time. Can you relate to that? Has that been happening for you? It does for me. Become less amazed at who he is and what he has done. We don't want God to shrink in our hearts and minds over time, and the plagues can help us. Yes, indeed. The plagues are recorded for us in Scripture. They didn't just happen. They're recorded for us, for God's people then and God's people now, that God would be bigger for us. That he would not be shrinking for us, but in our hearts and minds, he'd be growing. He'd get bigger for us. So what I want to do to experience that is to give a pretty quick overview of the first nine plagues, thus the insert, and then talk about a few purposes that God might be bigger for you and me when we leave this place. So let's do an overview, and then we'll see that together. First, the overview. You might want that insert. Please keep your Bible open or Bible app. Buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. The first nine plagues are structured in three cycles of three plagues. Three cycles of three plagues, but there is a progression and intensification that we'll see. Plague one, the Nile turned into blood. Look at verse 16 of chapter 7, verse 16 of chapter 7. God sends Moses to Pharaoh, quote, You shall say to him, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve or worship me in the wilderness. But so far you, Pharaoh, have not obeyed. Verse 17, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile. It shall, turn, it shall turn into blood. Now, notice two important statements that are going to get repeated. Verse 16, let my people go, that they might serve or worship me. And verse 17, by this you shall know that I am Yahweh the God of Israel. Keep those things in mind. So Aaron stretches out his staff 
and the Nile water turns to blood. In Chicago, where we live for almost 14 years, every St. Patrick's Day, they dye the river bright green. It's a big event in Chicago. The color of the water is changed. That's not what is happening here. This is not just the color changing. This is the nature of the water changing. Fish die. The water smells. And this is a big deal. Almost all the plagues can be seen as a judgment on the false gods of Egypt, including here. They worship the Nile as a god. The Nile was their food supply, their economic lifeline. So what has just happened is their source of life became a source of death. Thus, the false gods cannot bring life. The true God can. Plague number two, frogs. Chapter 8, verse 1, the command is repeated. Let my people go. Look at verse 2. If you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. And it goes on to say frogs in your house, frogs in your bedroom, frogs in your oven, frogs in your bowl, frogs on you. Can you imagine? It's like a horror movie. Frogs come and Pharaoh says, okay, let the people go. Okay, okay, they can go do their thing. Moses says, when should I pray that the frogs die? Verse 10, chapter 8, verse 10. Pharaoh says, tomorrow would be good. I'm not sure why he didn't say now. And notice verse 10. Moses said, be it as you say, so that, notice this, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, Yahweh, our God. See that purpose again? That you may know he is the true God. So at God's command, the frogs die in heaps. And this is a judgment on the Egyptian gods of fertility. Their symbol was the frog. So now your fertility god's symbol is piled up in heaps of dead carcasses. Not a good sign for your fertility god. The false gods cannot produce life. Plague three, gnats. So the cycle of three is ending. There's no command, just judgment. Gnats everywhere. I'm from back east where there are a lot of gnats. It's not fun. And there, there is intensification here. The magicians cannot reproduce this. They say in verse 19, huh, this is the finger of God. This is a purpose beyond us. A power rather, a power beyond us. In other words, the false gods are powerless in the face of the power of Yahweh. End of the first cycle. Magicians admit the superior power of God. Plague four, sw swarms of flies. New cycle, the command reappears. Verse 20, let my people go that they may serve me. And now, now for the first time, there's a distinction between the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen where the Israelites are. Notice chapter 8, verse 22. Chapter 8, verse 22. But on that day, I will set apart, God says, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell. Notice that, my people. So that no swarms of flies shall be there. Why? That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. 
Verse 23, thus I will put a division or distinction between my people and your people. And that word division or distinction could be rendered redemption by a slight change of the vowels that were added later. So maybe this is Yahweh redeeming his people, not the false gods. Plague 5, on livestock, plague 5 on livestock, chapter 9, verse 1, the command again, let my people go, or there'll be a plague on your livestock. It's kind of like a plague on Costco for us, you know, all of your food wiped out. But again, a distinction, verse 4. But the Lord, Yahweh, will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. Now, this plague hits Egypt hard economically and another blow to the Egyptian gods, and it's an intensification. This is the first plague that we're at least told of that brings death. Things are dying now. A lot of things are dying. So Yahweh, that's true, the fish died, that's true. Okay, second plague that brings death. <laughs> I retract my comment. Oh, plague six, moving on. Boils, painful sores. You don't want these either. End of the cycle, no command, just judgment. Verse eight, chapter nine, verse eight. This is an interesting one. Chapter nine, verse eight. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. The soot from the kilns that they were having to use to make bricks in their slavery. Isn't that a sense of justice? Take the stuff of your oppression and I'll use it to bring judgment on your oppressors. Keep that in mind. It's also a judgment on the Egyptian gods they thought brought ep epidemics and healing. Those false gods aren't doing this. Yahweh is, and there is an intensification. The magicians cannot, it says, they cannot stand before Moses because of their boils. And then we begin the third cycle. Hail, plague seven, hail. Command reappears, let my people go. Notice why, chapter nine, verse 14. Chapter 9, verse 14. For this time, uh, yeah, for this time, I will send all my plagues on yourself. There is an intensification there. And on your servants and on your people. Why? You guessed it. So that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. And some of the Egyptians are getting the message. Some are starting to fear Yahweh, but not so much Pharaoh. He does say, you know what? I have sinned, but it's really not repentance. It says when the rain, hail, and thunder cease, he hardens his heart. Plague eight is locusts. Look at chapter 10, verse one. Chapter 10, verse one. This too, another interesting one. Then the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. God is giving Pharaoh over to what he wants. I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, 
And notice verse 2. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you, that you may know that I am the Lord. There's a judgment on the locust God here, but notice verse 2. It's that your son and your grandson in Israel might know that I am Yahweh, the true God as well. Plague 9, we'll stop here. Plague 9, darkness. Chapter 10, verse 21. Chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Some say maybe a sandstorm, but this is a supernatural darkness of some kind. A darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But, notice, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. A supernatural darkness for three days. But again, the distinction, do you see the distinction? The people of Israel are basking in sunshine. Some kind of light. Now, this darkness would have completely disrupted something important for the Egyptians, their, their sense of order, their understanding of the world that Pharaoh was supposed to be at the center of and kind of sustaining. Their worldview is collapsing as Yahweh is saying, I'm the source of light. I'm the keeper of the universe. Now, do you think that God is getting bigger for Egypt and Israel. Remember how we said things tend to shrink over time? Do you think that's being reversed here a little bit? Do you think, do you think God wants to get bigger in our hearts and minds right now? Let me give you three reasons why that is. Three, three purposes, three effects of these plagues. First, and these are on the, back, the bottom of your insert if you want to see them. I've put them there for you, or Lindsay printed it for you. First, God's greatness known. First thing that's happening here, God's greatness known. The plagues are a confrontation, aren't they, between the gods of Egypt and the God of Israel. The explicit purpose is that Egypt and Pharaoh and certainly Israel as well would know their one true God reigns over all. We saw that numerous times. So that you will know I am Yahweh, chapter 7. That you may know there is no one like Yahweh, chapter 8. That you may know there is no one like me in the earth, chapter 9. God's supreme motivation here. His primary purpose is that all would see his uniqueness and supremacy, his greatness. Even his own people. I mean, yes, God is achieving their freedom. We'll talk about that. But it's not freedom just for freedom's sake. And we're going to celebrate our independence, July 4th. 
thankful for freedom. But this is not just freedom for freedom's sake. God's purpose is what? That they may serve or worship him. That they might behold his greatness. Glorify and enjoy the living God in his majesty. God makes his greatness known that he might be the center of our own spiritual solar system. That he might be what our hearts and and lives orbit around, that we would orbit around him and not he around us. I read a tragic story, a tragic story about a man whose three-year-old daughter died. And so this father, in his grief, he sought to put some videos together of his daughter. In doing so, he found that all of his videos had focused on the surroundings, had captured the scenery, but never focused on his daughter in the videos. Now, tragic situation. But isn't that what we do with God in the video of our own lives? Focus on everything else. Become enamored with everything else around us. But never focusing on the main character, the living God. Never never really seeing him because we're so focused on other good things. The plagues are here. The plagues are here that his greatness would be known, seen. That we would know that there is none like our God, that he is unique and supreme. That we would orbit around him, not he around us. For me, I was on vacation the past couple of weeks, my family. There was one day, we were in southern Utah, spectacular, and I'm going for a walk to pray, and just having this really spiritual moment, and I was praying to the Lord. I said, Lord, I, I just want to serve your purposes. You know, just kind of recommitting myself to serving God's purposes. Lord, I just want to serve your purposes. And I had this immediate thought, maybe from the Holy Spirit, Why? In other words, for your glory or mine, Tad? You relate to that? I need God to be big for me again. I need his greatness known by me again as my purpose that my world would center on him, that he would be front and center in the video. Another time praying recently, I was kind of down. I was kind of discouraged. Has that ever happened to anybody? All right. Not the only one. And I was praying to the Lord. I said, Lord, I know you're faithful, but this is not exactly how I imagined your faithfulness. Can you relate to that? I know you're faithful, but this is not how I thought I'd experience your faithfulness. I needed, again, a bigger vision of God and his greatness that he defines how Tab enjoys his 
faithfulness, for he is faithful. Do you need that too? That his greatness would be known. That's one purpose, one way for God to get bigger for us. Second purpose, God's judgment seen. God's greatness known and God's judgment seen. I mean, it's, a, it's a three chapters of judgment. Three and a half chapters of judgment. Judgment here, specifically on the gods of Egypt and on Pharaoh, in a kind of decreation. Scholar Carmen Mines calls it uncreation. She says God is erasing the boundaries and order in creation that he established in Genesis 1. It's a helpful connection. God is erasing the borders and order in creation from Genesis 1 as a form of judgment. There is chaos in place of order. There is a loss of dominion over the creatures, Frogs, gnats, flies, locusts taking over. Creation is no longer good in a sense. The water is undrinkable. The cattle are dying. The crops are destroyed. And light is now being overtaken by darkness. This is creation coming undone as a form of judgment. Imagine a, like a, a massive, massive earthquake leveling San Diego. That, that's what's happening for the Egyptians. But does it strike you as a bit unjust? I mean, it's understandable if we find ourselves thinking, I think God's being a little harsh. But I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these oppressed Israelites, enslaved for years. How many people have endured the lash on their back? Every day making bricks because you have to. Their children under the threat of death. Do you remember that? Where Pharaoh previously wanted to kill all the male children. The Israelites have been suffering injustice for a long time. What hope? can you have when that's your experience? And where can you find real comfort in the midst of injustice? Well, the comfort is that justice will be done sooner or later. And that's one way for God to get bigger for us here. You see his justice in his judgments, this decreation like the judgment in Noah's day or the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and every other divine judgment in the Bible. Every other time creation seems to be coming undone in judgment. Like all of those, these plagues point forward to a greater judgment to come. These plagues are a precursor, friends, to the main event. They're the movie trailer. I, I like movie trailers. These plagues are just the movie trailer to the main feature of God's great and awesome day of judgment. When his wrath is experienced eternally. Now, I, I confess to you that 
and eternal hell is hard for me to get my mind around. But God's wrath, like here, is his good response to what's wrong. It's important to see that. Judgment, like here, is how a good God responds to what is wrong and evil. This is some help we can derive from the plagues. When we hear about, or even if grievously you have experienced, sexual abuse, child abuse, rape, murder, when you read about all the injustice in our world, in the midst of the grief and the lament, we are comforted by knowing there will be justice one day. Every sin will be judged in hell or on the cross of Christ. And I don't know what you have suffered, and I don't want to minimize that for a single second. But there is comfort in the justice of these plagues, the judgment here that points forward to a judgment day to come. Third purpose, God's rescue. God's greatness known, God's judgments seen, and then thirdly, God's rescue, God's rescue achieved. We saw that many times in God's repeated command, let my people go, my people, God says, let them go, free them that they might serve or worship me. We saw it as well in the distinction God makes, how God's judgments don't touch his people. He has appointed them for rescue, for redemption. But, but don't miss the forest for the trees here. It's important to read Exodus within its larger context. The plagues are the trees. There's a bigger forest to behold. Exodus is part of a bigger story. The Torah, the books of Moses, and the entire storyline of the Bible. In other words, this is also about God fulfilling his promises. You want to make a connection this way. This is about God fulfilling his promises for rescue and redemption. Promises first made to Adam and Eve when they plunge the race into sin and God says, I'm going to send a redeemer, one who will crush the serpent's head, Genesis 3. And then God made a three-part promise to a guy named Abraham of land, descendants, and blessing to all peoples, Genesis 12. So these plagues are also about those promises coming to pass. Israel now has many people, Abraham's descendants. They are being freed for that promised land. That through them, blessing might come of a redeemer for you and me. And that's hinted at, especially in that darkness plague, plague nine. A darkness that may be felt a supernatural darkness of judgment. Does that sound familiar? Like maybe Luke chapter 23? As Jesus is hanging on a cross, quote, it was now about the sixth hour, 
and there was darkness, darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's not an eclipse. That's an expression of divine judgment. There was darkness over the land for three hours. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So darkness for three days in Egypt as divine judgment. Darkness for three hours on the cross of our Lord as divine judgment. Against whom? Against us in a real way. I mean, left to ourselves, think about this for a moment, left to ourselves, we are Egypt in this story. We are Pharaoh in this story, left to ourselves. Left to ourselves, we deserve the darkness of divine judgment. But that darkness, that judgment was poured out on Jesus for all who believe that we might be set free, that we might be taken to that ultimate promised land with many descendants of Abraham by faith, worshiping our Redeemer. You see, there is a larger, grander story to find yourself in here, a larger, grander story to locate yourself in this morning. I read something from author Anne Lamott recently. I'm not holding her up as an authority on spiritual matters, but I like how she put this. She said that her spiritual journey was like a staggering. That's a good description, I think. She said, I was just staggering from one place to the next. I wonder if kids or teenagers or young people or guests, can you relate to that? Kind of staggering one thing to the next, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find lasting joy, trying to find life, and nothing satisfies. Nothing delivers. But one endured the darkness of judgment in your place. One who is sent in love to rescue you. One who invites you to stagger to him this morning and experience his grace, his mercy, and his love. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to stagger to Jesus, stagger to him by faith, stagger into his rescue, surrendering to him and finding life as Jesus becomes bigger for you. And if you're already a Christian, make the same connection. You're not just living out a little individualized story. You're living within a grand, glorious story. Where do you need to see that today? Where does God need to be bigger for you? Got it in mind? Where do you need God to be bigger in your heart and mind? Let these plagues be a, be a lens to see more of his greatness. Let them be a lens to see more of his justice. Let them be a lens to see his rescue. He has made you his own, part of his own people that you might know and enjoy and worship him. So the application is, behold your God. That's the application. 
Behold the greatness, glory, and majesty of your God. Let him be bigger for you, including in the gift of his Son. It's true that with time, things tend to shrink. As we grow up, things seem smaller. But friends, let that not be that way with our Lord. So I end with this. You might have known this was coming. Kids, ask your parents to read to you the Chronicles of Narnia or read it yourself. For in Prince Caspian, Lucy encounters Aslan the lion representing Jesus. She encounters Jesus of Aslan once again. She says, Aslan, dear Aslan, at last. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting, half lying between his front paws. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up. Don't you love this? She gazed up into his large, wise face. Don't we need to do the same? She gazed up into his large, wise face. Welcome, child. Aslan, she said, you're bigger. You know how it goes. That is because you are older, little one. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. That's what we want. That's what God has for you and me. Not God shrinking. Every year you grow, you find him bigger. The plagues can help you see Jesus as bigger right now. Let's pray. And maybe just bring to the Lord where you need his help. Maybe bring to him where he's been shrinking for you. That happens for all of us, I'm afraid. And ask the Holy Spirit of God to take what we've seen this morning. That God in Christ would be bigger for you. I believe the Spirit of God wants to meet you. Where you've been discouraged, downcast. or staggering from one thing to the next. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for meeting us. Forgive us for ways we have been shrinking you and help us to see more of who you really are and what you're really like and what you've done for us in Christ. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.